empowering you with strategies to succeed. This is Jen Tringale, and you're listening to the Jen Tringale Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am just delighted to share my guest with you this month. And she comes next in our lineup in our podcast series on women influencers of faith. You'll hear all about her accolades and her incredible bio, maybe one of the smartest women that I know. But what I have always loved is her genuine heart for God her relationship with him that she lives out of, and her unquenchable thirst to understand and see more of who he is and more of the word of God. She makes you hungry to discover and know more of who he is. In this podcast conversation, Connolly and I get into some really wonderful topics that frankly probably need to come up more than they do. She and I discuss issues that she had the courage to dive in years ago with many of her colleagues where she was based in Washington, D.C. And these topics were along the lines of culture, ethnicity, racial issues, and how we address them even in the context of the body of Christ. She brings up some concepts that she found in the Word of God that are so strong and powerful. And what I love about this conversation is it helps you find words and gain understanding rather than just trying to deal with the throes of political correctness. This conversation begins to open things up around these issues that are really just trying to shroud an incredibly powerful truth, which she shares toward the end of the podcast. I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you with my special guest, author and sought after speaker, Connolly Gillum. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another podcast. Every time, if you are a regular listener that we have a guest on, I always say something along the lines of like, you have listened to the right one. But I'm telling you, I really mean it this time. And it's not only because of the level of depth and expertise that our guest has, but also because she has become one of my favorite people, a wonderful friend, and I am so thrilled to have author, speaker, multiple degree holding. I'm going to go through your bio to really lay it out, but basically amazing person, Connolly Gillum. Thank you for being here. I am very glad to be here with you, Jen. Very glad. Well, this is a while in the making. You live in Virginia. Mm -hmm. I live in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. We have never yet I don't think really, maybe in the last decade, to cross paths in our respective home states. That is true. It's like always on the road somewhere. Like, oh, you're in that city, I'm in that city, and we both have 30 minutes. Let's have lunch. It's because you are so famous and popular. No. It's hard to fit me in. That is so not true. That is so not true. I'm just going to give a snapshot of background because it's a long story, but it's dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. So... The reason that I met you is because years and years and years ago, (laughs) right when we were like 18, 16, let's just go with that. (laughs) I was in a little bit of an isolated season, you Mm -hmm. could say. And as the story goes, I was killing time in a bookstore and I came across 
a book you had just written in a Barnes and Noble. Yes, Revelations of a Single Woman. Still hate the title. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But, 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 I have recommended that book to so many friends, so many young girls I have met because it really was a lifeline to me at the time. So a few weeks later, I read it in like two days. I'm like, light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to make it. So the publisher had an email address in the back of the book. And I just sent an email, which I have never done that in my life. I mean, I've read books that were just game changers, but I've never said, I need to let that person know. Which now, as an author, I wish I would have, because I would like to, you know, yeah, you want to hear benefits. that from people. It's yeah, so sure. encouraging. But so I send this email to this rando email address, like for what it's worth, this was a great book. It just kind of developed this back and forth yeah. of a window into somebody else that was a little farther down the road than me to say, you're not crazy and you're going to make it. Yes. And God is still real. He is still good. And he is still with you, girl. Yeah. I mean, just so amazing. But I will say like in all the circles that you seem to function in, which heavily in the academic world, um, you've been on staff with the Navigators, an incredible organization. I have family members that are like, you know, 30 years pastoring their own church that got discipled through the Navigators. And that's really their story. But in all the worlds that you function in, that I feel like is the common thread about Mm -hmm. you. Like for all the education and all the vernacular and all the right way of saying things, at the end of the day, you're going to get to the heart Mm -hmm. of the story Mm -hmm. of a person Mm -hmm. of what's going on and break that down. Did you always have that ability or did you develop that? I think it's just how I came out of the womb. Really? Like I came out of the womb, honestly, looking for what is real and what is true and what you can put your feet on. Wow. So that even if life is crazy and chaotic or things aren't working how you think they should or how it's supposed to, you would still know what is solid and real and good. Wow. I think I just came out that way. And I came from a Southern background. And right. sometimes that's trickier to come by in the South because right. there's a lot of yes. image and there's a lot yeah. of masks. and Finessing. Yes, a lot of gracious smoothing. Right. And that's not all bad by any stretch. Right. But I was always hungry for what's really real. Yeah, it's so true. It's amazing to me that you came out that way, but that you maintained that. Because I could see where, I mean, you lived in D.C. for a long time. Yeah, 20 years in D.C. There was a stint there. You worked for an international think tank, public policy. Those are not worlds that lend themselves to, how are you feeling? (laughs) Tell me about your soul. I had one friend one time, she said, Holly, most people go out to dinner with you. They want to know, like, how much money you're making or where'd you get that shirt. She said, you want to know how my soul is. She said, I'm not even sure I believe I have a soul. (laughs) I mean, that's so true. So I think my next question to you then is, and I think a lot of people fight to find this ground or Mm -hmm. maintain it. How did you maintain Mm -hmm. that wiring in you while you're having to navigate all these worlds that are so opposite? Yeah, that's actually a great question. And this is going to sound so deeply old school, but so much of it is time with God and time in his word 
and having some people in your life who will tell you the truth about yourself and vice versa. Wow. You know, and obviously then worship and bigger community and those things. Right. But if I don't have it down at the deep sort of personal level, I could be doing the large scale church thing, the large scale fellowship thing, the large scale worship thing, Mm -hmm. but still I could be dying on the inside. Right. And my commitment is, you know what, God, I don't want to die on the inside. I want to be alive to you. And then out of that, whatever flows, flows. That's so good. Did you hit spots along the way where you felt like you were maybe edging into, I think I'm starting to die on the inside? Yes. Oh my gosh. Like that, I'm very pro counseling. Mm -hmm. I'm pro healing prayer. I'm pro spiritual direction. Right. (laughs) Like I have needed the help of other people in the journey. To make it sound like it was just me and Jesus would not be true. I've definitely had to have people who are up close walking with me. And I had a big period of anxiety after I had written that first book. It had done, you know, gone kind of gangbusters. And then I was exhausted from traveling, then had a nephew who had drowned Mm -hmm. in my parents' swimming pool. And then I started dating this man and it was so intense, and then we broke up, which was good, yeah. ultimately, that was a good thing. Yeah. But that combination of being exhausted, having that death, and having this breakup, mm-hmm. totally cast me into anxiety. Yeah, Like, I really had anxiety come over me for the first time. And never, never dealt had, with it before. Never dealt with anxiety. I mean, I had wow. blues, you know, right. along the way, but right. no, and I definitely needed help then. And wow. you know what, God provided so many awesome people and avenues, yeah. but that was definitely a low point. And yet those low points when your face is sort of shoved into the mud, that becomes this opportunity yeah. to like, with the help of the Lord and other people to come out on the other side and really to actually see things with greater clarity. Mm. But most of us don't get through to the other side of hard times alone. Right. Most of us need the help of other people in our lives. That's really, really good. I think that's such a key point for people to hear because you might know just enough to know, well, if I'm going to stay true to my heart and ground it, it's got to come out of my relationship with God. So then there comes all this pressure. My, I've got to have this thriving relationship with God. And what if I'm not generating that? And what I'm hearing you saying is we actually all need help generating yes. that. Like really, it's an old, old, old analogy, but one piece of wood cannot actually burn alone. To have a flame on a piece of wood, it actually has to be adjacent to another piece of wood that's also burning. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. And I definitely learned what it is to be carried. So just a quick, quick story. This time I had so much anxiety. A friend of mine, I wasn't sleeping. And she said, well, you might need to go to the ER and they can just give you something to help you sleep. And I was mortified. How am I going to go to the ER? What if somebody sees me there? Who's going to take me there? That's crazy. And I go up to my friend, Anne wife of this couple and I said well when you get back from church today maybe we could just run over to the ER and I could get just, a an errand. just an errand and she said um do you need to go to the ER now I was like no I wouldn't want to imposition you oh my word and part of it is the humility of actually saying you know what I need I need help, help. yeah and I need somebody to help me and will you please help me and I will receive it and wow. uh, we went and it was good and it helped me to sleep. It was the beginning of this learning that when there's rupture in life, repair is possible. But so often God uses other people in the process. That's so good. When there's rupture in life, repair is possible. Yes. 
but he's more than likely going to use other people in the process. Yes, that's exactly right. So it could be that you're crying out for help and people are coming and you're stiff-arming them. That's right. And here, that's God trying to get you that's what you exactly need. That's exactly right. I and that. I think oftentimes the desire to seem together, almost thinking that serves people better. Like mm -hmm. me seeming together somehow serves people better. Mm -hmm. It's actually that desire actually gets in the way mm -hmm. of letting others come into my life or come into your life to help. And that actually is a joy to them and then becomes reciprocal because there's going to be another time you're given to them. And that's how we build yeah. that interdependence and that attachment. And then that can carry us when we're woven in more deeply to one another, it can carry us forward far more effectively than just being a strong individual person. That's so good. I am so impressed with you on so many levels, but I just have to read a few of your accomplishments. You have a master's degree of teaching from the University of Virginia, which I know is close to your heart. She's a big fan. You also got your master of arts in theological studies from Regent College. Now, I actually remember conversing with you while you were, I think, studying there? Yes. So I did the one-year diploma in Christian studies right after I finished undergrad oh a long word. time ago. Then I went on the board. And then when I was on the board, I thought, I'd like to turn that one-year diploma in Christian studies into an MA. So then I went back and I completed, I did 30 wow. more hours so I could have the MA in theological studies. Wow. Was that one of the hardest things you ever did? No. Really? Mm-mm. Hmm. I loved it. Hmm. I mean, it was good work, but I really, I loved it. Wow. Okay. 12 years since you did your last book. Yes. What made you want to do this one? It's a great question. So my, that book, as you said before, was about unintentional singleness and mm -hmm. where is God showing up in the context of so much relational confusion. After that book... I had a series of unexpected traumatic deaths in my family. Mm -hmm. And this was all going on in the context of my longtime friendship with a writer and therapist, Paula Reinhardt, friend of mine. And we began speaking together. Our first time we spoke together was in Latvia, over in Eastern Europe, and it worked. Mm -hmm. And the more we would speak together, the more we would think, maybe this should be a book. Wow. And eventually, this book was born really in a sense out of our friendship and our shared discoveries. Wow. Was it something that you had to go, I know just enough about writing to go, writing a book is daunting, no yes. pun intended, by yeah. itself. Co-writing, especially when you've already done it by yourself, yes. even with somebody that you know, that you respect, was that a hard thing to do? You would think it would be hard, and in some ways it takes more time, but Honestly, and this is just shout out to my friend Paula, she actually kept me going in the writing process because mm -hmm. I've had so much transition because in the middle of writing it, my dad fell down dead from a heart attack and just out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And I had to move and help move my mom out of her house and all these transitions. I don't think, I don't think I actually could have done it without Paula saying, you need to finish chapter four, right? <laughs> kind of prodding me along. Shove. So in, in a way, it was there's, there's some hard pieces to it to get two voices to blend well. Mm -hmm. But honestly, again, it's to come back to relationship. Right. Like, I need the help of a friend in the journey mm -hmm. to be able to take this next stage in the journey forward. I could see where that could be a major plus side. Yes. To co-writing. Yes. Um, and it's fun. Oh my gosh, yeah. we laugh our heads off. 
the process had yes. to be a blast. It's totally a blast. Yeah. It's totally a blast. And then to be able to kind of write off one another and mm-hmm. piece that together. Mm-hmm. So the book is In Yet Undaunted. And Yet Undaunted, Embraced by the Goodness of God in the Chaos of Life. We've talked about that on this podcast before, about how God is always working restoration, but restoration doesn't always look like what you think it's going to look like. But he's always working to restore. Yes, I have this friend who, she was a missionary a long time in Russia, and this communist atheist scientist woman eventually became a believer through this friend's ministry. And this Russian woman wanted to practice her English and she would get some of her words mixed up. And one time my friend, the missionary, was quite anxious about something, and this Russian woman who's come to believe, who gets her words mixed up but likes to speak English, looked at her and she said, Susan, don't nervous. The dog is always working <laughs> instead of God is always working. That's so and we cute. always say that. We're like, don't nervous. Yeah. The dog is always working. Always working. Like God is always yeah, taking those black hole places in your soul, in a particular relationship, mm-hmm. in some family situation, and something in work, and he is there. Yeah. And partially it's us being willing to say, God, show me, open my eyes so I can see it. Yeah, I love that. This book comes out this October. Uh-huh, October 8th. You can find an Instagram account for yes. the book, And Yet Undaunted. And Yet Undaunted, all one word. There was a post that you guys posted a few days ago, and I love this statement. It's very simple. But it just simply said, our stories are part of something so much bigger. Yes. And I think, like, this world, if all this life is, is like the now and, you know, the coffee that I drink and the cool vase that I buy for my table. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just not enough. No, it's not. I mean, that's great. Right. But it's not enough. But it's not enough. But when we realize, like, God's big story includes how things ought to be, Mm -hmm. how they were created to be. Yeah. How things are the fallenness of life how they can be in jesus which is actually said laced with and filled with redemption Mm -hmm. even though there's still struggle Mm -hmm. and then how they will one day be the restoration of new heavens new earth like that story of ought and is can be and will be is big enough to hold all of our stories yeah it's so true one of the things that i love about you is for as informed and educated and as much insight and revelation that you already have on walking out a personal relationship with God on greater theological issues, you seem to perpetually carry this wonderment and desire to know. And I've watched you like even, you know, our sort of long distance friendship Every time we circle back around, you kind of come to the table with this whole new thing that you've decided that you're just going to get your hands on and sort of pioneer into. Hmm. That's been so inspiring to me. I think I always want to be that way because you have every right to be like, okay. I mean, we were kind of laughing before you just bought a new house and I was saying like, you should hang all your degrees on like your your entry wall when they walk in. And I was saying that didn't sound very much like Jesus. Right. (laughs) Right. Just put them there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, you could have every right to just kind of pull like a been there, done that card. I'm I'm farther along than most. And I'm just going to settle here and revel in, in all the knowledge that I have to disperse. 
And though you spend so much of your time, and you know, it's something good to mention too. I mean, you have poured so much of your life investing in mentoring mm-hmm. young women, the next generation that are leading in all different parts of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so you are dispersing that knowledge, but you have maintained this hunger mm-hmm. to know, to go, what is that? And that, I think that takes not just a level of energy. I think it takes a level of courage to say, mm-hmm. maybe this box isn't the box. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've been purposeful about? Is that just your nature? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. First, I appreciate that observation. I don't know that I think of myself in those terms, but yeah. I do appreciate that. One time I was talking to a mentor of mine about leadership and I said, I don't feel like a leader. And he said, you have a really very limited understanding of leadership. Hmm. He said, your understanding of leadership is like a general in front of a battlefield who mobilizes the troops and moves them all forward. Mm-hmm. He said, that might not be you. Hmm. He said, but I think what leadership looks like in this very topsy-turvy world we're in right now where the maps are always changing, it's the courage to go around the blind curve. And, oh, that's good. And if you don't get killed, yeah, you go back and you get a couple key people and you bring them with you. I love that. And I think that is my orientation is yeah. to go around the blind curve. And yeah. there's a thousand blind curves because yeah. all the things that pop up in our culture around sexuality and gender Mm -hmm. and ethnicity and all Mm -hmm. the division, Mm -hmm. all these things are like coming fast and furiously. And so the question becomes, okay, God, how do you want to lead around that blind curve? Mm -hmm. And where are you leading and what do you want me to discover? Yeah. And, uh, and if I don't get killed, right. I'll bring some others along with me. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up. All those topics Mm -hmm. you just named are such major topics in our culture right now and I remember you starting into the work of having conversations around ethnic division even in faith circles before it was even quasi comfortable to have those conversations. Yeah, yeah. a lot of my friends were like, why are you into this? But you know, I look at that in just the way I know you, I'm like, what a perfect vehicle Because everybody that, you know, to know you is to love you. I mean, you're just a very kind, you're not going to shove anybody against the wall. And so you just come in with this smiley, hey guys, isn't it great to be together? You know what? Let's talk about racial issues. And people are like, okay. (laughs) But you really started into this conversation about we probably need to have conversations that are unspoken, that are things hanging in the room, that are maybe a bigger deal in the minds of some and others are totally oblivious. And that's not okay. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I think my interest and concern around questions of ethnic tension originally came around questions between black and white people, which was my early, early experience. Mm -hmm. And I grew up a little bit schizoid Mm -hmm. because when I was little, when I was young, I went to an elementary school that was incredibly diverse, which was pretty unusual in the 70s. So my friends were, a boy named Herbie was my best friend. He was a black boy. Keisha Brown, she's African-American as well. And Karen Sexton, she was half Japanese. And yet at the same time, I was from the South, and there were really clear racial lines when I would go to my extended family 
uh, world for their South where there was black and white. And the housekeepers were African-American. Wow. So I was like, how does this work? Yeah. I mean, when I was third and fourth grade, I thought, something I don't get about all this. And, mm. and really, it became this journey to discover what's going on in our culture, and especially as believers. Because mm. I recognize black and white believers on both sides of the track, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I thought, but we're all believers. Right. What does this mean? And so really, mm. it was that same impulse to find out what's really real right. in all of this. That was their Almost third like grade. Yeah. Pure curiosity. And love. Mm. I think, again, it's relationship. Yeah. Because I had love for my best friend, Herbie. Mm-hmm. I had love for... Essie May, mm-hmm. the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Herbie was my peer. Mm-hmm. His parents made the same amount of money as my parents. I mean, it was all equal, total mm-hmm. socioeconomic equal. And then Essie May literally lived on the other side of the railroad tracks. But there was love. And so my question became, Lord. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I knew to frame it that way when I was third grade. But I was like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. What's the reality here? So that's always been my question. Wow. So when you, you were still in D.C., if I remember right, you're living in the D.C. metro area, and you really kind of took it to the next level through some key relationships and got involved with bringing this conversation into meeting rooms and, and let's really build some bridges and create some understanding here. What was that like? And what I'm really intrigued to know is, how was it initially received? Yeah. Well, I worked at this place called the Center for Urban Theological Studies in Philly from uh, 94 to 96. Okay. And that was where I worked as a minority, which was a great experience for me to learn what it was like to be one of two white people. Wow. And that was very eye-opening That was the me. first time you were the minority? Uh, the first, first sustained amount of time. I mean, okay. I'd worked at different ministries, urban ministries, where yeah. I'd been the minority, but this was my sustained day in, day out, where I lived, where I worked for regular life. Yeah. And that was really challenging to see what would come up in my heart under pressure. And I think it's where I began to realize, wow, there's something actually fundamentally like snobby and arrogant racist in me. Wow. And began to have to face that and deal with it. And nobody had ever told me to be those things. Yeah. No one had ever championed those things. I came from a family that celebrated the equality of all people. Right. But inside my heart, there was something that was like, oh, I think I'm a little better. I mean, very deep, very unspoken. And actually, it was after being in Philly, when I lived in D.C., one of my roommates, Maria, I write about this in the the book, who's African-American. We just had some fights. And it kind of came out that she experienced me as somehow intrinsically thinking I was better because I was white. And I experienced her as not trusting me no matter what I did and no matter what she said, because she was black and I was white. And for both of us, it was like this revelation. Wow. And then she was a believer, I'm a believer, and having to discover God's voice in the middle of that. And so then eventually in the Navigators, I did some of this as actual my professional work around questions of ethnicity and diversity and faith. Mm -hmm. But it really, again, it came out of relationships. Wow. Where do you see just your two cents, the body of Christ today. I mean, this is a global conversation. Mm -hmm. It's a national conversation. It's a major cultural issue. 
black and white primarily here, but, but then it goes so much way beyond. Yeah. And so then, you know, sort of position in the middle of that from our perspective is, you know, as Christ followers and people of faith, we're going, hey, we want to reach out to you. But maybe in the purity of our reach, they're still seeing, you know, major ethnic divides or get get in the way. I mean, get in the way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have it. sort of the earnest. Let's let's take the best case. We're not talking about like an ugly white supremacist person. We're right. upset those folks over here. That's a right. that's a different kind of conversation. Yeah. But you're talking about well intentioned. Yes. Um, earnest. Jesus following white people mm -hmm. who sometimes in their attempts to cross the divide mm -hmm. seem to create more problems right. or that's how it's experienced mm -hmm. than solve them. Right. And again, what I have found is I actually began to pray, God, bring into my life people of color mm -hmm. who actually want to be in this conversation. That's good. And, and trusting, I, I mean, and I have dear friends who've wanted to do it. My friend Sherry Jones in Philadelphia, my friend Patrice. I mean, the list could go on mm -hmm. of friends who, because of their own convictions, their own faith in Jesus, they actually want the conversation as well. Wow. And then out of that relationship, we've begun to make traction. And then we can start to tell the truth to each other. Right. I mean, Patrice, we were doing a training in Chicago. And Patrice said to me, or she said to the group, she said, and you know what, sometimes, she said, sometimes I just get tired of white people having all the power and being the majority. Yeah. And she said, I just get tired of it and I want y'all to lose. And I burst out laughing. I was like, and you know what, I'm a white person and sometimes I get tired of knowing that you want me to lose and you're tired of me having all the power. And we were just nice. laughing because we can wow. tell the truth to yeah. each other, yeah. right? And everyone listening was a little... I bet awkward yeah. and looked a little wide-eyed. Yeah. But that comes out of Patrice and my friendship. Yes. And our honest conversation yeah. that's centered around our shared savior, Jesus yeah. Christ. Which is the bottom, bottom line yes. of the entire yeah. issue. That's right. Is being able to have that conversation to the point that you can boil it down to the bottom line here is what really matters of eternity. We are totally the same. All of this is aesthetic, is cultural, right? Is lenses we see through. Yes. But at the end of the day, and well, and really, I mean, if you look at scripture, the whole story is headed towards the nations or the ethne, right? Right. The different ethnic groups of people all coming around the throne of Jesus bringing the honor he's put on them back to him. Oh, I so love that. all of history is moving that way. So if anything my ethnic group is doing is suppressing some of the honor mm. of another ethnic group, well, yeah, I want to pay attention to that. Yeah. Because that's that getting in a way awesome. of God's eternal purposes. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's the reason. It's not that we're all politically correct and we want to just be the model UN. Right. right. No, it's like Jesus wants all the different ethnicities to bring the that. honor he's given them ultimately yeah. back to his feet. Yeah. So we don't want to get in the way of that. We don't want to get in the we way. We actually want to call it forth out of yeah. all people groups, including Caucasian people. We want to pull that honor up and out out of all people groups. That is so yeah. powerful. And that's like the scriptures. And I had to actually study. <laughs> and I mean, that's like the Bible. Bible. It's like the Bible. Well, so for, <laughs> I think for a lot of times when I was growing up, I thought things about ethnicity were like, that was about political correctness. Right. And and I began to, to go to the pages of the Bible, and I was like, whoa, 
this is God's heart. Yeah. And this is ultimately for the glory of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Crazy, but totally true. Yeah. And for the places I've gotten in the way of that in a brother or sister's life or a people group's life, mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally, mm-hmm. you know, just by virtue of being me. Sure. Then I want to say, oh my gosh, I repent. Yeah. And Lord, show me how to make it different. That is so good. That is so, I would just want to sit and think about everything you just said. I love that it has such dignity in it. Yes. It's thinking of the dignity of an individual person, but a people. A people group. group. I love that. It reminds me of just last weekend, kind of our little leadership crew, we celebrated a three-year anniversary of a nationwide women's event we did in Grenada. Yes, I know about your event, yeah. So... I was so, this last week, we were going through all the footage, you know, and just watching it. And of course, being Caribbean, you know, they're much darker than us. And I've been going there for 18 years. I mean, there are people there that are like family to me, you know. And so, but we were going over the footage. And the reason that we had been there is the Lord is just, I felt like he put on my heart. He said, I want to restore what's been broken and honor what's been dishonored. And so every decision we made was about, okay, this is registration. It's just a little thing. But how can we acknowledge the dignity we're wanting to show? You know, we're not coming with the answers. We're coming to serve you. And, and out of everything we did, and now I think, you know, we rented like this gigantic 40-foot LED screen and we shot off confetti cannons and we brought in artists, you know, I mean, all this stuff. One of the biggest pieces of feedback we got was the way I was treated when I walked in. Yes. And they cheered and we had this red carpet and they celebrated that we just showed up. Women were bawling walking in because we just acknowledged and honored and honored and that's what yes. you're talking about uh, that's, that's what really what I'm talking about what is it to actually see people from not just your tribe so to speak but yeah. another tribe or another nation right and actually honor that person and that. even their cultural distinctions yes I mean every culture is imperfect every culture needs to be refined right there's pros and cons in every culture right but there are pros yeah. in every culture. Yeah. And what is it to come and to say, God, help me to see with your eyes, in essence, your image yeah. and the honor that you long for among this people group, right. so to speak. I love that. Yeah. Well, and even this book that you all have done and yet undaunted, I mean, talk about a place where the goodness of God yeah. needs to be proclaimed into what can sound like total chaos. Yeah. You yeah. know, that it speaks to so many places in life. But it definitely doesn't leave that one untouched. No, and and actually we do. We talk about, I talk about my friendship with Maria Good. in the book. So you have to contend with it yeah. before the Lord right. and then look for how he wants to do a new thing. It's so you know, good. And it's, it's not just all about guilt or shame or division or right. hatred or hostility. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to go through some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end game. The end game is that every ethnic group and every person within that, when they bend the knee before Jesus, they will reflect the honor he has put there. Wow. I mean, that is really the bottom line of where history is headed. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's kind of cool, really. It is. And 
that for our time here on Earth, we get to be part of that. Yes, and America is like the greatest opportunity of all because we're yeah. smashing all kinds of people together True. who've never been smashed together before yeah. at a super rapid rate. Yeah, And so we get the opportunity to contend. You know, it's really interesting. You talked early at this interview about the isolation you felt. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, the isolation is like the negative hors d'oeuvre of eternal life without God. Mm. And now we're talking about all these different ethnic groups coming together and smashing up against one another. Mm -hmm. And that actually can be an hors d'oeuvre of the world to come, wow. of all the different peoples yeah. uh, living in harmony with Jesus Christ at the center. Oh. It's like those are both pictures. It's so true. You know, they're both pictures. And we get to experience that for sometimes for worse, but also for better in America. So good. This podcast conversation I'm realizing is just basically like the perfect snapshot into what it has been like to know you and be your friend. <laughs> because what happens is we meet up in random restaurants around the country. Today we're in a La Madeline's in Waco, Texas, <laughs> yep. in a side room with I don't even know what going on out there. And and every time we have had one of these and I spend time with you, I leave, I just get in my car and I just drive thinking in like another universe, like I'm gonna have to think about that for a long time. I'm so thrilled that this has happened. Oh, um, me too, totally, we, you know, I totally love it. I totally love oh, it. Oh, I mean, I'm just so, so thrilled. And I'm so thrilled that our listeners just get to hear, hear it and hear from you and get to know you, connect with you. Obviously, everybody's going to want to get a hold of the book, And Yet Undaunted comes out in October. Yes, you can pre-order. You can go to andyetundaunted.com, and it can take you to pre-order possibilities. Okay, good. And then I can tell them from experience that they can search you, yes. Annalie Gillum, and find a bunch of stuff out there. It's true. I'm thinking of naming a few, but I won't. But there's just... Different interviews and stuff, things that yes. you've done that are just great. And I just can't thank you enough for well, doing so this. Fun. I mean, I really hope the takeaway of any of you who are listening is that ultimately a deepened sense that God is good and he is carrying yeah. all of this. And that's why you can have courage. And that is why you can go forward and yet undaunted. Yeah, that's absolutely the truth. Thank you again for being here. My pleasure. This has been phenomenal. You're going to have to come back. Because I know you've got to start on a new book. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just the cycle. It's the circle of life. Actually, I do ultimately want to do one around this question of ethnicity. That yes. I was, when you were talking about it, I thought, oh, she's got to do one of yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. Good. It's well, a couple years out, but I yeah. think we'll get there. Lord willing. Yeah, that would be powerful. Thank you again for being here. Everyone, thank you for listening. We're so glad that you're a part of this podcast. However you came across it. Maybe somebody sent you a link. Maybe you just came across us on Spotify, iTunes, but however you found it, I believe that it was for purpose. And I pray that this has spoken to your heart and spoken to the season that you are living in right now. And I pray that it's been an encouragement and an inspiration. Find us on Facebook, social media, Instagram. You can find Connolly on Instagram. She's got three whole posts up, people. <laughs> and yet Undaunted Instagram has a lot of posts. Has a lot of posts, but let's help put the yeah, pressure I, on, okay? I, I'm not like the hippest poster in the world. <laughs> we're, we're rising up a revolt to change yeah. that. Connolly Thank G. you for my, my beloved friends. Yes. You see, we all need help. Yeah, everyone needs peer pressure. <laughs> 
Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye.